all too often we as creators, specifically performers and theatrical performers of that, wait for permission. We wait for a producer to call us, a director to call us in, a casting director to call us in, uh, a friend to give us an opportunity in a reading. Why don't we reverse this script? Why do we have to wait for someone else to give us permission? Why don't we start creating? Welcome back to this week's episode of Dear Actor Podcast, the podcast in which film industry professionals share their stories, mistakes, successes, and advice they would have told themselves. As always, I'm an actor and your host, Sage May. Before I introduce our guest, here's a quick word from our sponsors. As you know, it is vital that actors learn from industry professionals and gain the necessary tools to enrich their career. Ace Studios features numerous casting director workshops, specialized classes, intensives, and free events. Some of you may know I'm a New Yorker, and if it weren't for Ace, I wouldn't be able to meet any of the LA casting directors and learn from them, all from the comfort of home. They have affordable workshops with casting directors every week, a great community, and the perfect way to make connections. Go to acestudiosla.com, that's A-C-E studiosla.com, to make those connections today. We're also sponsored by the place I got all of my business of acting knowledge, the Hollywood Winner's Circle. I cannot stress this enough, if you're an actor who's just starting out or even got a little bit lost along the way, like I did, the Hollywood Winner's Circle led by Hollywood talent manager Wendy Aline Wright is the best thing you can do for your career. It provides a roadmap and explains everything you'll need to do to become an actor. They're also having a sale right now, so go to hollywoodwinnerscircle.com and use code HWCNEW right now for $200 off. Now, our guest this week does it all. He's a social media strategist helping people put their best foot forward on social media, which has become so important for actors. He's also a Broadway producer of Once on This Island, Hades Town, and more. He's won not one, but two Tony Awards and a Grammy and a Drama Desk Award and many others, making him one of the youngest Tony Award winning producers in history. He also has a vlog in which he's had on many Broadway stars, including Ethan Slater, Betsy Wolf, Colton Ryan, and he played Truth or Dare with Gloria Esteban. He really does it all. I am so excited to chat with him. Please welcome Tyler Mount. Hi, Tyler. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, it's it's so great to finally meet you, and I'm so excited to be Thank here. Thank you. I'm very excited you're here. Um, <laughs> so I'd love to talk a little bit about your story, because you have an amazing story. You're one of the youngest Tony-nominated producers, and I want to hear how you got there. <laughs> um, it is, it is, uh, you know, I've told this story many times and it, and it never ceases to amaze me how actually random it really all was. Um, I grew up in small town, Texas, and my entire life, I, I knew I had to be a part of the Broadway community. I, you, you, if anyone has watched any interview I've ever given, it's probably me talking about how I used to cry in my bedroom growing up in small town, Texas, watching Defying Gravity, because I so desperately wanted to be a part of this community. Um, but for someone in small town, Texas, it seems so unreachable. So, so uh, I knew I wanted to be a part. I just didn't know how, right? So I went to school for theater, pursued acting, loved everything about it. Then when I moved to the city, uh, I started auditioning and, you know, I had, I will say, mild <laughs> success there. Um, and I just hated it. I, I hated auditioning. I hated the feeling I got when I was in the room. I never felt worthy. I never felt confident. 
Um, and looking back, that was just the universe being like, Tyler, this isn't what you're meant to do. It wasn't until I really started to follow my intuition and follow that feeling of joy and purpose that I really started to, to see massive changes happen in my life. So, um, I was working as a waiter at the time I was working as a stage manager or a production assistant on multiple shows at the time. And I woke up one day literally with just like a voice in my head being like, I want to do a vlog. Right. And I didn't start by being like, I want to do a Broadway vlog, or I want to do something called the Tyler Mount vlog. I literally just created a series with my friends, uh, me and my friends in my living room on my couch, drinking wine and filming. And that was it. I really did it as a passion project for me. And, you know, like, look, we put it online and like 500 people watched it. And I was like, cool, 500 people seemed to watch it. And we got great, you know, we got some great response from my friends. Like no one I didn't know watched it, right? It, it wasn't like people I didn't know were watching it. And then at the time I was doing a show called On Your Feet and um, I was and still am dear friends with Gloria Estefan because of my because of my work on that show. And I'm stage managing one of her private concerts. And um, she says something with the fact that I, I hear you have a vlog. Um, why haven't I been invited? Um, and I was like, okay. So then <laughs> I hounded her assistant um, and like right-hand man, Heather, um, until she showed up, her and Emilio came over and they did the show. Um, and, and it really changed my life. It gave validation to, to this idea that I had to everyone else in the industry. It was much easier for me to book someone in the chorus once I could be like, oh, Gloria Estefan just did the yeah. show. Will you come do the show, right? Um, from there, I just started asking and I relentlessly asked. And the more people that did it, the, the more people, you know, um, started to hear about it and the more people trusted the, the production and press reps would bring their, their, their clients. And it started to become this thing. Ultimately, um, I, I pestered Playbill enough until the editor-in-chief at the time, Mark Pikert, um, really took a chance on me and, and gave me a job. There is, um, had a video content where I started to produce the vlog full-time in their studios. So by the time I was, I was done at Playbill, I was, we were syndicating the show at the time to 3 million people in 168 countries. Wow. Um, and I, I couldn't go to a Broadway show without people, you know, screaming my name, coming up to me, you know, being like, oh my God, I love what you're doing. Um, cut to me leaving Playbill um, and me being like, I still want to be really, really involved in the industry. So how do I do that? So I started producing. Um, my, my, I, I partnered, you know, with uh, a wildly incredible producer, Hunter Arnold, who took me under his wing, like very selflessly and, and trained me and taught me everything I now know about producing. Um, and, and I'm still learning every day. He and his associate, Kayla Greenspan, were, were wildly instrumental in my success as a producer at a young age, I produced Once on this Island. That was my first Tony. I produced Town. That was my second Tony. Um, and we're, we're talking at a great time because my third and fourth Tony nomination um, are for Frankie and Johnny at the Claire de Lune starring Audra McDonald um, and Michael Shannon. And most recently, The Inheritance, which is my which is my fourth nomination. Um, both shows, I'm not winning on Sunday. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's totally fine. Um, and I'm really excited to just be nominated. And you hear that all the time, but it's the truth. Um, and, and that's really, that's really how my career started, how I am here today. And, 
And, you know, my most recent show, Passover, just opened, was the first play back from broad, um, back on Broadway. And um, now I have Hades Town running again. And so Broadway is coming back. I I'm excited um, that the industry is coming back, like damaged and, and very slowly, but, but coming back nonetheless. But that's my story. That's why, that's why I'm here and that's how I'm here. That's amazing. So um, how'd you get into social media and all that fun stuff? I mean, social media is a, is a natural byproduct of, of what I started doing, right? The vlog wouldn't have happened if I didn't promote it on social. And then I started to accidentally get into the space of Broadway influencing. And at the time, no one was doing it. There were there were a handful of us. Like I, I specifically think of like the Courtney Reeds and the, the Teals and the LJs of the world who were really pioneering this space. And even like Abby DePhillips, like we were, we were really outside of people who were on Broadway as performers actively working, there were very few of us who were in the Broadway space and creating social content. And ultimately we really created a niche. And that's where I first got my understanding of what it is to build a viral, viral brand, what it is to um, grow a following and grow an audience. Like obviously super amateur. Um, I didn't have any, you know, professional experience or training, but you know, Oftentimes, I think the best training we get is, is boots on the ground. So from there, once I joined Playbill, I had a, a, a profound education um, in the theater world and what it was to work in the theater professionally as a content creator. And then from there, I, I, I went to NBC um, and, you know, I oversaw, I oversaw social media and digital marketing for their content commerce division. Then, you know, I, I left NBC and worked at a prestigious real estate development firm. From there, I worked heavily on the Biden-Harris campaign. Um, and, and then that's kind of how my career and, and my digital agency, or as I like to say, the digital un-agency that I own today, Tyler Mount Ventures started because, you know, I started to get clients um, who took a chance on me as a freelancer and then the referrals and the, and the clientele just kept coming. And I was able to build out a brand and build out a, a company based on the mindset that built the vlog. And so that's how social started. And, and that's, you know, what I'm doing day to day and it's wildly fulfilling. And I, and I get to work with clients sure in the theater, but also outside of the theater and, and it's wildly rewarding and, and I have a great time doing it. That's awesome. Um, so for actors who don't really know how to brand themselves or just people in general who don't know how to brand themselves, how would you explain finding that? And like, what are the steps that you feel people need to take? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite things to do is, is educate. I speak around the country at, you know, digital conferences, but, but my favorite thing to do is, is talk to people in the arts, right? I teach multiple classes a year um, on what I call Broadway branding, which is all about creating a personal brand for yourself. And it's so incredibly important to understand who you are. And we always start from a place of authenticity. I, I can't stress that enough. That is the secret sauce to social media success. If you are coming in and trying to act like Ben Platt or trying to act like Lin-Manuel or trying to act like, I don't know, Laura Benanti, whoever you are trying to emulate, you will fail. Why? Because that person is far better at authentically being themselves than you are at emulating them. So once I stopped trying to be a, I don't know, an Instagram model or like a really, really um, profoundly intelligent 
theater historian. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just iconically a theater fangirl and I love doing <laughs> what I do. And, and once I just like follow that authenticity, that's when I'm really going to start um, finding success. And that's the truth. And so when I work with clients, especially in the artistic sector, we always start from a place of authenticity. We say, what is what is your being? Who are you at the core? And if that's a quirky fangirl of Phantom of the Opera, then like, that's what we're going to pursue. Okay. And it's a misnomer that we can't be ourselves on social and we have to emulate or, uh, or try to appease an audience. We learned that there is an audience and a niche for every single type of person on earth. Um, and that's, and that's what I really try to get across to clients. It's all about finding authenticity in the space and then finding out what that thing is that differentiates you in that space. So that's what I try to explore with clients. And if I could give any advice to anyone, it's to start with authenticity build a, a, a loyal following and really focus on relationship building. So that leads me directly to my next question. How can people make relationships through social media and authentic ones at that? Yeah, absolutely. So the number one thing I get asked by every client is how do I get more followers? And I give them an answer they probably don't want to hear. It's the fact that I'm not here to increase your follower base. Followers are a natural byproduct of engagement and relationship building on social. Followers come naturally when you start fostering community on social. So the number one thing I look for in my own social or, or rather in the social of my clients is are we fostering positive relationships? The community management or, you know, the active act of replying to comments is the most important thing that we can do on social. We have to make people feel like they are connected and, and feel like they are a part of that person's life. After all, that is why people crave social content. It, it's interesting. One of the first things you said to me before we even started recording today is, oh my God, I feel like I know you, <laughs> right? And that's the number one thing that I get. When I meet people who, who like my work or have seen the show, they're like, oh my God, I feel like you're my best friend. And that's my goal. Why? Because I hang out with that person, whether it's one person or a million people, um, I remember who I'm talking to, right? I am talking to oftentimes, not all the time, but that 13, 14, 15, 16 year old Broadway fan in the middle of America who doesn't feel connected. And I was that person. And so I really actively try to remember who I'm talking to. So uh, the ultimate goal is to build relationships and make people feel as best as you can that you are really actively a part of their lives. And that's something I, I pride myself on and something I really, really try to be good at and foster in my online communities. And something that I recommend that all content creators, whether you're an actor, a, uh, a writer, a director, or a Fortune 100 CEO really starts to foster in their in their social community. I love that. So um, for actors specifically, how could they make connections with say casting directors and potentially be cast and not come off creepy? Because I think that's a lot of the fear that comes with that. Yeah, absolutely. So there are many things to unpack there in that question. The first thing is the thing I always tell people is desperate is never castable. Just like desperate is never dateable. Having sat behind the table in auditions many times, the second someone walks in, no matter how talented they are and they really need this job a la chorus line, instantly as a human being, it's off-putting. As opposed to walking in and being like, yeah, this is who I am, take it or leave it. There's something that's really, really attractive to that. So with that being said, I will always recommend never produce content so that a social, you know, so that a, a viral moment happens. Never produce content so that a 
producer sees it or a casting director sees it. You have to produce content because you are producing content. I will always tell people we have to stop waiting for permission. All too often, we as creators, specifically performers and theatrical performers at that, wait for permission. We wait for a producer to call us, a director to call us in, a casting director to call us in, uh, a friend to give us an opportunity in a reading. Why don't we reverse this script? Why do we have to wait um, for someone else to give us permission? Why don't we start creating? And that's what I did with the vlog. I didn't wait for a director or a producer to come to me to say, hey, I really think you would be a great host of the Broadway vlog. No, 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 no. I, I created it. And now people come to me when they, when they need content. Right. And, and I think that's the really, really big differentiator. Find out what you're good at, do it well, and the success and the people will come. I want you to walk into a casting room and me go, oh my God, that's so-and-so from that really, really funny TikTok series I saw, or that really, really great um, Instagram series I saw, right? You think of the new age of content creators, specifically like, um, you know, like JJ Neiman on TikTok, right? He has amassed a massive following on TikTok because similar to me and Instagram, he was the first person on, not the first, but well, actually, yeah, he was one of the first viral theatrical creators on TikTok, and he forever has carved a niche in the space because of that. So it's really, really, really important that, you know, we are, we are constantly innovating and we are creating content for us, not for a casting director. And I guarantee you, JJ has got called into rooms and has booked shows, not just because of his talent, because he's wildly talented, but because of the social brand he's building for himself. It certainly hasn't hindered his experience. Um, and it doesn't hurt that he's insanely talented in all aspects of his craft. What is your advice for people who are in a social media rut or have nothing to post? Okay, so I get this question all the time. Tyler, I'm not going to the Tonys this weekend. I, I'm not in a show. I, my life is boring. I have nothing to post. And I stop them mid-sentence because that is just a misnomer. I work with literally hundreds of clients. In no exaggeration, every month I'm working with over 100 clients, okay? And every single one of them tell me the same thing. Um, whether you're a huge Broadway star, okay, who I have on my roster, if you are a Fortune 100 CEO who I have on my roster, or you're, uh, or you're a real estate agent in the middle of Idaho, who, who I also have on my roster. The common theme is that, oh, I don't have anything to post. And it's, and it's incorrect and it's a misnomer. Every single moment we have in life is an opportunity for content if we think big and we think outside of the box. The number one thing I bring to my team and I constantly hammer over everyone's head until they want to die is the fact that at Tyler Mount Ventures and in the world of Tyler Mount, we think big. We break the status quo, we innovate. And if you come to me and say, oh, my idea is to boost this post for a client, I'm going to tell you that's not thinking big to go away. Okay. So, so ultimately, if you have COVID and you are in bed, it is an opportunity for content. If we think big and we think outside the box, uh, just right now, uh, you know, I'm giving you this fake scenario, but it's like, what if you did the COVID series and you did um, a new musical theater cover every single day with COVID and it was absolutely awful, right? If we, if we have a moment that we can relate with another human being, I guarantee you that's probably going to be more viral than you standing in front of a blue background with a ring light on and your pin curls in and you have, you know, like bright red lipstick and you're in a maxi dress and a jewel tone uh, singing, if I loved him, like, you know what I mean? Like ultimately I think coming from a place of authenticity and, and breaking the mold is what really changes 
um, social strategy for people. So I would argue if you have nothing in quotation marks um, to post about, you need to think bigger because you do. Sitting at your house all day, there's a piece of content you could create. I keep going back to, I wasn't doing anything except for sitting in my living room, right? And then I started inviting people over and filming it. JJ Neiman, I don't know why I keep going back to him, but he literally records in his living room, right? He isn't quote unquote doing anything that day, but he creates something, right? We don't have to go to the Grammys in order to get social content. And, and that's what people really need to focus on and, and, and experience a mind shift. I mean, and so that's what people really need to focus on and experience, uh, you know, a shift in mentality around. Honestly, I've, I've had problems with that too, just being like, what do I, my life is so boring, whatever. But I think that that, that's something that I get asked a lot just in general, and that I think of a lot. So is there a common thing that you see with your clients that they're doing wrong on social media, even if you've started working with them? Yeah, absolutely. So there are multiple pillars in, in, in what we do here, right? But the first thing is most people are not posting consistently. We have to post consistently because social media success is a long tail game. You're not going to find success in 30 days. You're not going to find success typically in 90 days, unless you're very, very lucky. This is a 90 day, 120 day, 12 month process in order to grow in a massive following. And it comes from consistency, posting seven to 10 times a week in Instagram to optimize feed. This is huge whenever we talk to content creators, because we will have people who post once a week or once every other week or once a day and then go six days without posting. Instagram and the algorithm that powers it is fueled by consistency. So consistency is number one. Coming up with a content calendar that fuels that consistency is really, really key for a lot of my clients because it sets them up for success. But then I go back to something that isn't wildly measurable. And it's, it's just a feeling that consumers get when they consume content. It's authenticity. If we can relate to that content, if we can say, oh, I've been there, and that's why meme content or really short viral sassy content is really, really, really popular. It's, oh, I I've been there and, and I feel the same thing, even if I don't express it, right? If we can really start being authentic and leaning into who we are and what differentiates us in this, in this space, that is what's going to change the paradigm of our social strategy. That is what most people do wrong. They're not posting consistently. They're not being authentic. And changing those two things can have a massive impact on your social strategy. Yeah. A common phrase is social media cleanse. So I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that and how people can take those while still keeping the engagement up. Yeah, that is a, it is a double-edged sword. Um, and look, I, I'm going to be honest. I see incredible value in social. Okay. Uh, my life is built on social. I pay my rent because of social. I have, you know, uh, my life is what it is because of social media. And so I understand firsthand needing to stop it. Okay. If you paid really close attention I went completely dark on social for probably two years because I was give or take a few posts. Right. But like I was posting every single day at 930 PM for three years, four years, five years. It is exhausting. Okay. And, and constantly tracking analytics and constantly measuring your, your, um, your value based on engagement is, is super, super depressing and super exhausting. And so I don't have a fantastic answer for you in the sense that Instagram rewards consistency. 
if you take a social media cleanse, you are statistically and analytically, there is no way around it going to affect the optimization of your post. If you are willing to do that, and sometimes we have to be willing to do that, I would say that your mental health is more important than anything. I've learned that through my career. And so I would say, if you need to take a break, you need to take a break. And there's no shame in that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think as a society, we're getting better at it, but we all oftentimes demonize mental health. Okay. And so it's so important that we put our mental health first, but as a social strategist, I will also tell you, statistically speaking, we're going to hurt our engagement and optimization in that time that I wasn't posting, you know, I probably lost 10,000 followers. And that's simply because if you're not posting, you're not giving people what they want. Statistically speaking, you, you lose engagement and that's fine. And that's a natural byproduct. And I signed up for that. Okay. And if you understand that, and you know that, then it's just the price of doing business. And it's the price of, of putting your mental health first. Now, at the same time, I think if we start adhering to more rigorous social media strategies and take a step back from putting so much worth on the engagement we're getting and look at it as best as we can, egoless, and as an individual, um, 10 steps back, it helps separate our, our need for validation. So I'm talking about planning your social content, posting it, and then forgetting it. Um, looking at your engagement from an analytical perspective versus do these people like me or do they not like me? Seeing what type of content performs better than other type of content and starting to produce more of that content as opposed to, oh my God, I only got 500 likes. They don't like me versus this type of content didn't resonate with my followers. What can I learn from that? So I think it's a happy mix of both, but the ultimate answer is we, if we stop posting and we, and we take a social media cleanse, it is going to statistically and analytically speaking, affect our ability to optimize and, and serve that content to the largest majority of people. That's super interesting. So I'd love to bring it back to your producing. If someone wants to get into producing like how you did, what is your advice for that? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I was very, very lucky. I was asked to produce based on my work in the theater, right? Most people don't get that opportunity, but I produce now because we need to change the foundation of Broadway. The foundation of Broadway, believe it or not, are producers. Why? Because they choose the people in the room. They choose the people in the room whose lens we see the story through, and they ultimately bring the show to Broadway. They are responsible for the season that we see each year on Broadway. And the same way that, you know, we have traditionally experienced a whitewashed Broadway in, in this season so far, um, it's about time, but we're experiencing uh, a season currently that is made up entirely of, you know, um, BIPOC creators, you know, and, and that's what's, what's so exciting. So to answer your question, we need more young people. And I define young as anyone under 40 years, okay? We need more, you know, um, women. We need more gender non-conforming people. We need more people of color. Believe it or not, we need more people who identify as LGBTQIA, right? It is so incredibly important that these people, you know, and, and obviously I, I, I fall into the LGBT category and the young category, right? Despite being a white cisgendered male, these people in this community need to be the ones telling the stories. And, and it's so incredibly important they are. So first of all, if, if 
you are in any of those demographics, which the majority of people listening to this probably are, right? Um, it's important to know that your voice is valid and needs to be heard. Now, how do you actually produce? Um, it, it is a learning process and you need to work probably with a producer who's done it before. And the good producers out there will always take time to train and foster young producers if what they say about, you know, changing the paradigm of theater is really true. Oftentimes it's a talking point, but do people really show up for young producers who want to break into the industry? And that's the huge difference. Someone like Hunter Arnold is always the person to say, I'm going to selflessly give the opportunity for a young producer or a person of color or a female or a gender non-conforming producer to come in and produce. And I'm going to, um, you know, I I'm going to see their success. Um, and so I would say, if you want to produce, don't wait for someone to tell you you're allowed to produce, show up and start producing your own work, reach out to producers and say, Hey, I really am interested in producing. Can you help me? The majority of them, myself included, will always take a call with you. I will always help you. And, and when possible, I will always bring you into a show, right? Because I think everyone's voice is valid and everyone's voice, um, has, has the need to be heard. We oftentimes, you can have a seat at this table and I hate that phrase. Why? Because it's not my table to give a seat to, right? You can sit at this table because it's not mine. It's no one's table, right? And, and I want to help you sit there because it's not mine, right? So ultimately, I think that's the biggest takeaway is let's not wait for permission to produce. Let's start producing no matter what level it's at. And eventually, um, you'll, you'll get your shot if you work hard enough and you, and you ask the right people. And, and that's the biggest takeaway is to ask. Absolutely. I love that. I think the whole barrier thing in our business is one of my least favorite things. That's why I'm doing this podcast. Cause I'm like, look, everyone's normal. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. And I think that's the number one thing I've learned from doing my show and working with, you know, pretty much at this point, like everyone on Broadway, right? It, you know, within reason, it's every single one of those people, people I idolized, right? Um, are just human beings with lives and they show up and they're like, oh my God, blah, 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 <laughs> you know? And, and I think that's what's really, really interesting. Yeah, that's super fun to see. Okay, I have to do it to you. I'm sorry. And if you can't, if you can't answer it, that's okay. What is your favorite episode of your vlog? I mean, I get asked this all the time and, and I'm happy to answer. It's just like, uh, I have had such a, and I'm saying this as a 31 year old, but like to date, I've had such a remarkable life in the sense that I've met my biggest idols and all of them have been so lovely and wonderful and fantastic. I can only remember like two or three nameless people who have come to do the show that were actually awful humans. Um, and, and I mean that sincerely, like the vast majority, 99.9% .9 of people have been the most lovely, giving, gracious, um, great sports, especially when they come to do my show, they have no clue what they're getting into, right? I don't even know what game we're playing until 30 minutes before they get there, right? And, and, and it is remarkable how real these people are. Offhand, I mean, me, I mean, like, I, one of the first bigger guests I had was Leslie Margarita, and Leslie really helped define my career. She was 
always there for me. And if I called her today, she would still show up for me. She is kind and giving and gracious. And I just remember us holding each other, cry laughing together, having never met. Um, I remember cry laughing with Stephanie J. Block um, because we uh, like, uh, she sounded like a smoker that day. I accidentally touched her boob. Like we were like <laughs> cry laughing. Um, Anthony Rapp, um, my my idol growing up, coming over and singing La Vie Bohème with me on the couch. Um, I mean, Maddie Trumbull, who who um, who played Elphaba. Um, I just remember us cry laughing as well. And I, I have such a joyous time on the show. There's no way that I could just name one person. Every single person who has who has come and done the show has had a profound impact on me and really, really um, changed my perception of them almost entirely in a positive way. That's incredible. So that leads me to the last question. What would you have told yourself when you were starting out? I would have said to care less. I started my career just desperately caring about what everyone thought. And, oh, my God, do people think I'm stupid? And who do I think I am starting a vlog? I'm so stupid. And it wasn't until uh, it wasn't until I was like, oh, no, no, this is what I do. And people are lining up and screaming my name when I go to a conference. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't need anyone else's validity. Right. And, and I've carried that with me throughout the course of my life now. So it's like a prospective client comes to me and I'm like, okay, this is what I do. This is what I charge. Um, and I think I'm the best for your company. But also if you're like, I don't like that. I'm like, okay, that's totally fine. There are, there are agencies out there that do that. Right. It, it is not a take it or leave it mentality. I'm definitely collaborative, but like I put so much less pressure on other people's opinions. If you don't like that, if you don't like me because I'm outgoing and outspoken and a Broadway loving fangirl, then like, that's fine. We're not going to be friends and that's fine, you know? Um, and, you know, as you continue to grow in any industry, you know, you have the majority of people who are wildly supportive of you. And then you have the few people who aren't and talk behind your, your back and you always find out about it. And, and I used to care and now I don't, I'm like, I don't have time to subscribe to the gossip. I don't have time to subscribe to the drama. If you have enough time to talk bad about me, then like, I'm clearly doing something right. You know, <laughs> haters have never talked negatively about someone who's doing really terribly. So one of my theater professors growing up, I used to always say, I'll see you in the movies. And, and to this day, I'm like, I'll see you at the Tonys, you know, like, bye. So, so ultimately, ultimately that is the biggest thing that I would say is my takeaway is the fact that care less about other people's opinions and create because you are called to do it. I love that. I think I'll see you in the movies is now my new motto. <laughs> oh, literally. I always I say it. haters make you famous. Like haters make you famous and I'll see you in the movies. Bye. I don't have time. I love it. Thank you so uh, much, Tyler. Thank you so much for having me. I had such a good time. I always of love course. chatting all things theater with another theater lover. So oh, thank so. you for having me and thanking <laughs> of me. Of course. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to give the podcast a rate on whatever platform you're listening on. And as always, you can email us at dearactorpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at dearactorpodcast. I'll see you next week with our next guest. Thank you.